Network Automation Nerds podcast. Hi guys, Eric Cho here. Want to put in a quick note about this episode. The first part of this episode was recorded outdoors in person with HiMate. My apologies about the background noise. It was super fun to do, but we couldn't really control that aspect. Now back to the show. Hello, welcome to Network Automation Notes Podcast, a podcast about network automation, network engineering, Python, and other interesting technology topics. You might hear it a little different today because I'm very excited to, to actually do an in-person interview with my friend Jaime. Hey. Um, so uh, welcome to the show, Jaime. Thank you. No, I mean, it's been very, sometimes last time we chat and it's always a pleasure having a conversation with you. Yeah, yeah, no, the pleasure is all mine. So. I do apologize for the background noise. Um, I want to put it into a little context. So Jaime and I actually, uh, we work together. We've known each other for 12 years. Yeah, a little, yeah. yeah. I would say maybe 11. 11? Yeah, I, I joined Microsoft in 2011. Yeah, so, that's... Yeah. so we, we knew each other. We worked on the same team briefly. Yeah. And then you took off. <laughs> you bailed on us. No, I think you took off first. I did? Okay. Yeah, and then you joined again. Oh yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, but you were you were at Xbox back then. Yeah, yeah. And then I was in GNS. You were yeah, at Xbox. And, the, and then we met again at Azure. That's right. That's right. You very were the briefly. first SRE. Yeah. Uh, network SRE. Yeah. And then I was the second one. Yeah. Very briefly. Yes. You know? Very briefly. And then I took off. Then you took off, man. To join one of my kind of my dream jobs, I would say. Yeah. You know, working with a game company. Right. So yeah. well, okay. So. We'll, we'll go into that, okay. but let's rewind a little bit. And um, so, Jaime, uh, well, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, how did you get started in technology, and how did you end up here? Well, um, you know, I I went to college in Mexico. This university, yeah. This, yeah. Uh, I, if I have to take a wild guess, I would have said you did not grow up in the United States. No, I didn't. <laughs> you, I mean, you mean by my accent? I, guess. Yeah, yeah. I have an accent too. So. <laughs> well, I was the ESL, right? <laughs> I, it's, very, it's very difficult to get rid of it. You know, for me of at course. least. Of course. Yeah. Uh, no worries. I, it's I have the age. accent. Yeah, I'm old right now, so. Me too. Uh, my kid doesn't have any accent, so. Nice. So that's, that's good for them. Yeah, good for them. Anyways, but um, yeah, I grew in Panama. Oh, okay. So I'm not from Mexico. I grew oh, in Panama. Oh, that's, my, why, that's my, why I was wrong. My mom is from Mexico. I see. So when I graduated from high school, I went to Mexico, uh, study uh, electronic systems engineering. Yeah. And even back then, I, I just love to, you know, get a computer, you know, disassembled and then put it back together. And yeah. And that's how I kind of get into computer science. Um, and then when I graduated from college, uh, I used to love to code. Yeah. But after I graduated from college, I, I started working networking. I didn't have to code right. to any code. Right. So, But you guys must have been rich, right? Because for me, I didn't have my first computer. I was in college, man. And I had to share it with my sister. So I well, couldn't dare play around with the computer in the, if any chance of messing it up that means she doesn't have a term paper printout well that I mean that's a good point I, I can see that <laughs> uh, to be fair for example my last I think my my dad used to he studied electronic system as well so yeah and he was always buying these um, gadgets right yeah yeah um, yeah I remember when he introduced me to the first like 
Casio calculator that you can. Oh my God! You're the second it. person who said about the Casio yeah, right, scientific calculator. Yeah, right coding in in basic. I remember like that's right. right? That's right. So uh, even my last, my maybe my before I graduated from high school, I brought my first kind of basic program to do some um, to solve some particular problems in in physics or and that's how I kind of I started enjoying like no I knew how to solve this problem manually but like I want now yeah to leverage the the power of the this calculator to actually do that for me like quickly right so yeah 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 and plus that wasn't like a built-in function yeah. right like that yeah. wasn't like just a sign that or cosine yeah, yeah, no, or sign no, or no, trick no. that you, you just need to press. know you need to know like how to solve those problems exactly you need your loops you need yeah. your variables before you can actually write any code right right so, um, so that was fun so again I, st I graduate I had my first job uh, in networking yeah and was that with Cisco or was it with somebody else no no so that was a um, this was the technology arm of the major newspaper oh, I in see. Mexico. Okay? I see. Okay. So these folks basically have to build solutions to automate the newspaper, the systems, the network, to build the internal system. And when you look into how they deliver, like they create content for a newspaper. And back then, it was to a print, you know, a print. It was not... <laughs> Was nothing it's online, not digital? Right? No, it was nothing online, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> but still, there's technology behind, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, obviously, the network has to deliver, you know, content, uh, graphics, everything. Back then, was token ring. Oh my God! Okay, okay. that—that's what I was going to ask you. So, what kind of technology was it? It was, it was token, token ring. ring. Okay, they it wasn't really even like. 10 base 2, 10 base T. It, it was it was pretty bad. Like it was okay. 16 megabit per second. Sure. Uh, I think at some point we wanted to upgrade to 32 megabit per second, and yeah. we decided let's go to Ethernet, right? Yeah. I, I think I think if I remember correctly, it was like exponential, right? So it was either four or 16. Yes. So yeah. you guys were like at least in second generation. Yeah, we were 16. 16. At least that's what I was, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, you were not in the Stone Age. And the, <laughs> and the cables were big. They was big. Cables connected, the token connected yeah. to the. I think those expensive. were coax, right? Like, um, I mean, coax. RG6. Okay. Coax was before that, actually. Okay. And I experienced some coax when I was in college. Yeah. But I never got into like the networking part of sure. when I was in college. I was more like, I, I like to code how to control this processor, for example, yeah. or, this, um, or this robot, for example, right? That was interesting. So that was the thing that I liked. Uh, I didn't enjoy anything. I think I never enjoyed actually my networking class, like distributed systems when I was oh, in interesting. Yeah. So, uh, so again, so what is interesting my first job was that I was using the internet in college. Yeah. Back then was, you know, basically go to gopher uh, groups and uh, IRCs to yeah. discover about something with you know, people that you never in the other side of the country or in different countries, etc. Right. Um, and when I joined this company, yeah, I was still connecting to my school via dialogue. Okay. To continue doing, you know, reading about something and contacting people. And one day I I saw this Netscape, right? This yeah, browser. The browser. Yeah. Sure. So I downloaded. Yeah. 
So I started playing with AKO. This is this cool. <laughs> and, and my boss back then saw it and said, okay, what is that? Okay, okay. The World Wide Web. I don't know yet. Like I'm yeah, trying yeah. to, I try to understand it. Yeah, right? I'm trying to. I'm trying to understand Give me first. ten minutes. Yeah, I'll yeah. tell you. <laughs> so, so then he saw like I was reading documents from someone, you know, posting those in HTML and right. And the next day, the the newspaper owner was behind my. Oh no, kidding! In wow. my seat, saying, okay, "I wow. want to see." Okay, your mind told me about this. I want to see it. Like, yeah, yeah. And I, I showed him that, and and then he immediately said, "Okay, I can push my newspaper to this media." Yeah, I think I think that's very interesting. I think because of where you were, they immediately saw the connection. Yeah, yeah right. Exactly. As opposed to like I don't know, like music company, right? Like yeah. why why would I even care about internet right. at that so, time? Imagine so this is newspaper owner, right? Yeah. That only what he knows about news. About yeah. Exactly. About he doesn't know anything about the technology. Right. But he obviously likes that because he invests in a in a, another arm, another group, another company that work on technology solution for the newspaper. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He's very visionary. I yeah, would say. So 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 obviously he already envisioned. Okay, already have all my newspaper content in PDF. Yeah. Back then, right? That was yeah, yeah. PDF. I can distribute that to all my readers. The, the question is, how do I provide my reader, readers access to the newspaper? So, right. So then, we, so basically, we build an access network, a dialogue network. We build all the backend. Then we connect to the internet with a, I believe, it was two megabits per second. Oh wow! Connection. Okay. So it was like a E1. It was um, E1. Exactly. Yeah, it wasn't even T1. Yeah. No, yeah. because in Mexico there's no. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's different all, standard. Yeah, different standards. Yeah. No T1s there. Right? Yeah, but it's equivalent, right? Yeah, so E1 exactly. and T1s exactly. are roughly equivalent exactly. to North America. So we have a rack of modems, connect 56 kilobits per second, I believe. It was. Sure, sure. Uh, and that's and every uh, subscriber of the newspaper get an account. Oh no, kidding! So you yeah. have you actually have a dial-up bank. Yeah. So you want like a terminal server. Yeah. So they it's not like they dial into the ISP. They dial into yeah, you. Yes. Because there was no ISP. Back oh then. really? There oh wow. No okay. That provide that what, service. What year was this? That was ninety-eight. Let me see. Wait, one second. So I graduate. I need to show my age now. No, 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 no. I am, that's fine, that's I am actively trying to make you feel old. That's, that's, that's fine. So I graduated from 1994. Okay, okay. So it was 96. So that was 1995. Yeah, actually. okay. No, no, I, I graduated around the same time. So, so uh, yeah, internet exists in Mexico, but only universities. Yeah, it was, was very much a research There network. was no a commercial offering. Right. right. I mean, that's when Netscape came out, right? Netscape yeah. was the first one that had the SSL key exchange so they could do e-commerce and so on. So imagine... Before that time. So we were one of the first ISPs, right? Yeah. Uh, in Mexico. And then the the carriers, you know, they, they always they had the infrastructure and, yeah. and they started deploying theirs. Right. Uh, but yeah, but that's how I kind of start like, okay, networking my thing. Did the newspaper actually charge people money to dial no. in or they were just no. like, at the time, we're just very much no. experimental. Because, no, they, what they want is to deliver the content. So yeah, also there were uh, subscribers as long, already. As long as you have a subscription of the to receive the newspaper at home, yeah, you could connect 
an accent, you have an email, and what the heck is this email? <laughs> it was fun, and back then, obviously, this company, we, we were all like, a lot of kids from college, you know, a lot of energy working yeah. 18 hours a it day. Must be exciting, yeah. Yeah, and, and you didn't care back then, like, and next day you were back in the, uh, doing your, your job, you know, after maybe you slept four hours, five hours. Yeah. Uh, it was fun. The data center, I mean, was, I don't know, maybe four racks, three racks. Yeah. That was it, basically. Yeah. yeah. So you guys had, did you guys have servers that, that you dial in? So the yeah, terminal we, servers yeah, that you we had in the putting some end. servers. Back then was uh, some, uh, some microsystem for the, uh, for the email and authentication. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was what? I mean, we did the same thing. So I remember when we were building out broadband in like certain markets uh. um, for cable modem, because there was not a lot of content mm. back then, and especially no rich media content, people were like, I mean, you could read all the text you want, but people could probably get tired of it pretty yeah. soon. So what we were doing was also, we were um, building out contents, but we're put it in, right inside of the head end. Yeah. So they don't have to go over the internet yeah. and therefore we could deliver much more rich content. And uh, because we were like local market, right? So we were able, and we're like TV companies, mm -hmm. like cable company. So we were able to deliver some rich content and local news, very specific to the market. Yeah. But like you guys were doing, right? We were were, there was not a lot of relevant content, so we have to provide the content by ourselves yes. in order well, to attract users. Well, I mean, you think about the newspapers are content, you know, they create content, and there's a, another part of the business that they deliver like financial uh, yeah. data to to brokers. So they have this solution where they use FM radio, yeah, and they have this station connected to a computer where they receive the feed of the stock market and the tickets, everything from the phone. <laughs> and at some point, all that was migrated to this new internet kind of yeah. thing, right? Yeah. Uh, so from from that point, basically, InfoCell, that was the name of the company, become kind of the, the leader in terms of networking, internet kind of content. And we were right in front of that, right? So yeah. we have to work with company like back then was Wellfleet uh, and then uh, only Cisco. Yeah. Um, um, who else was there? I mean, Tricom. There was many networking companies. Uh, but I think we, I am working more with Cisco. Yeah. Um, I mean, Cisco was, yeah. was probably the only game in town back then. They, they had the, you know, ah, man, what, what was the name of that water? It was a white, yeah, I ACS, think AGS, AGS, something uh, like AGS that. plus. Because yeah, yeah. I think the the thing back then for Cisco was because you have like Novell, you have Token yeah. Ring, you have Apple Talk, you have yeah. like Ethernet. So the Cisco thing was uh, a T1 and Ethernet, yeah. right? So they're translating all of these and they're able to talk to each other together yeah, exactly. through the Cisco yeah, box, the yeah, AGX. Yeah. yeah, so we have some of those. Yeah. Uh, in some point we start deploying 7500 for the backbone, <laughs> you know. I remember uh, those. With RSP, I don't remember it, like which one, like Mary 2 or something. Yeah. They could do like maybe E3 top at that point. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, but yeah, uh, I mean, and back then it was everything through the CLI, right? They yeah. I had to, and to me it was exciting, like 
oh, I can configure this device and now I can communicate that computer. Exactly. I was so that other computer, right? Yeah. Uh, and I'm the one amazing. that did that, right? Like, yeah. Hey, yeah, we can communicate now on the newspaper because then the newspapers, new newspapers start growing and they have different cities. Right? Yeah. Okay, okay, now you can communicate. Right. Uh, yeah, you that press was, a button. Yeah, yeah that was like, kind of a... There you go. Now everybody... Let there be light. Now everybody, <laughs> that's, that's, that's for granted, right? So... Yeah. But back then, it was kind of the thing for an engineer to make it happen. So... Um, that's automation cool. was not a thing, at least for me, it was not a thing. Uh, that become way later. Later. Yeah. So, so after after you worked for the the newspaper and you know like having all these technologies, is that when you were for Cisco or? So after that, uh, I started getting. When I started working with Cisco, one thing I learned is that they were very good at providing documentation. Yeah. And not like what I found very interesting to learn, like protocols, technology. Yeah. Not have, just Cisco stuff. Yeah, they, exactly. they teach you the basics yeah, and technology. They, they give you a lot of, and they have a lot of, they start investing a lot of in content, how they produce content, right? And right. even the, back then was Cisco networkers. That's right. Right. That's like right. It and, wasn't like Cisco Live. It yeah, was networkers. Networkers. And, yeah. and I always found very, very uh, fascinated from Cisco that how they, they invest so much on educating right yeah they were you know what it is i think they were the google before google yeah because google is all about like open source yeah, yeah. and like we're just going to teach you something and if you do search you're going to come to google anyways so cisco was like if you do networking you're going to buy cisco anyway yeah. i'm just going to teach you networking so i found my because i i learned so much you know by going to the cisco networkers yeah and just dream through their did but, you go to Cisco Network Academy or no? I never. That was not a thing when I was. Uh, I see. I, I become a thing each, actually when I start working for Cisco. <laughs> nice. Because I joined Cisco in 1999. Yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, because I feel like okay, this is a company I want to, you know. Yeah. Work with. So yeah. they were the bomb. Yeah. Um, it took me some time to get into Cisco. I had maybe I, I had like three attempts. Or two yeah. attempts before actually join. Yeah. And I think it was harder for. They were brutal uh, in the interviews. I think they were harder for remote people too, right? Like, because you were not at Silicon Valley. Yeah, you were yeah. not no, in no. San Jose. I was there's, not. there's only limited amount of position elsewhere yes. outside yeah. of San Jose. I mean, outside, outside was more like a sales support. Yeah, sales right? and marketing. So, yeah. and, I, and I joined the pre sales from the engineering side, right? Uh, and they, yeah, they, and they train you very, I mean, they give you everything you need to be a very good engineer right right uh, they were very so strong i would yeah, say yeah so i mean that was two i mean i i joined to 1999 i left 2011. yeah so yeah. that's a very uh, good chunk of uh, yeah, decade yeah, yeah. and um, most of my networking career i came from from that experience and right? you got you got your uh, did you were you multiple CCIE or yeah CCIE? I got CCIE when I was at Cisco in yeah 2001 yeah. yeah so that was routing and switching and yeah and 2007 I see so provided that, so oh actually people. so double CCIE yeah. I remember that was when you uh, you came to Microsoft from Cisco right yeah yeah, yeah. yes but the reason I left was not because I didn't like my job sure it was, I left Cisco mainly because in Mexico, 2000, it become very unsafe, like the cartel and yeah. And I started having conversation with Microsoft and other companies, 
And when Microsoft offered me to move to the United States, yeah. I had to take, because, yeah, they, things were getting too close in terms of like, oh, your friend, a friend of a friend got kidnapped. and Oh my God, really? That kind of thing, right? You actually so, knew people yeah, yeah, who so, were impacted. And, and the thing that I have, I have friends or friend of friends that they own businesses, like small businesses. And, yeah. And the guy got kidnapped and obviously in order to get that person back, you have to pay some ransom. That ransom basically is all their saving, all their, yeah. you know, the fund. Yeah. So basically they wreck families. Yeah. Uh, and maybe not because they kill someone, but after that, it just, yeah, you are, you are back safe home, but. You're wiped out. Yeah. Basically yeah. they get everything from you. So um, I, I don't think I was uh, attractive enough, you know, to, for in terms of, you know, financially. They didn't know Cisco pays yeah. very well. But, <laughs> but it was, you just need to be in the wrong place yeah. in the wrong time. And those situations were happening way too often. Yeah. My wife, for example, she was in a situation where she was driving my, with my kid and the car in front got, you know, basically a couple of other trucks basically um, Cut them off, cut the, the other car, yeah. and they so just, they were attempted and to, they just yeah. basically start shooting with you know AK AK forty seven. Oh my god! I, I'm, I actually I'm not trying to make light of a situation. I'm sorry, no, I, was, I, was, I, I I made a joke, but I didn't mean to. I mean it's very serious and unfortunate. No, I, I mean it, it's serious, but this is the kind of thing that obviously you need to hold it when you are making you know. This is a big change, right? Moving yeah. your family to a country. I mean, I speak some level of English, but. It's not the same. It's yeah. not my primary language. My wife didn't speak any English. You uprooted yourself. Right. Your whole so, family. You were established, yeah. and now you have to. I yeah. think that's something people don't really think about. I mean, I moved to the states when I was very young, mm -hmm. so it was a totally different situation, mm -hmm. right? When you're young, you don't have nothing. You're just like wherever your parents go, you go. Mm -hmm. But when when you are like already established and comfortable, it takes a lot of it, it takes a lot of guts. You need, yeah, you need to make those decisions with based on on where you're going or the next day is going to be better for, for your family, right? Right. And, and for us, it works. One of the things I, I believe, for some of my kids, I believe they are more resilient now. Yeah. Because they have to experience changes in were the they, ways. How old were your kids back so then? So my, my youngest, when we moved, she was six months. Oh, I see, I see. And my oldest was 11, I think. 11, I see. 10. So it was more impactful for your 11 year old yeah, than your yes. six months. So, but yeah. they are more resilient. And yeah. They know, I believe, I like to believe that they know how to deal with getting out of your comfort zone. Sure. Which is something that many people avoid. Yeah. Uh, because there's always, there's always going to be some challenges on doing that. And there's pros and cons. But at the end, I believe. There are more pros and cons when you actually challenge yourself on moving away from your comfort zone. Right? Yeah, I um, like that. So, and that, for example, you think about like a, what I got more fascinated by automation is because that's yeah. out of my comfort zone. Wait, right? are we are we talking about automation now? Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is I not almost this, right. yeah, this, this is, is a not podcast about automation. Talk, it's or, not about just, immigration. Or just life. Yeah, yeah, life change. in general. Yeah. What interests you into automation? So, oh, well, the couple of things. One was the, um, well, every time I join this networking team, okay, there's there's a, you know, process, okay, let's design this network. And 
how you design this network is not that different with, like, yeah. from yeah, yeah. one to the next. Yeah. Right? You have like IGP protocol, you have external protocol. And yeah, you might use ISS as OSPF, but they're yeah. pretty much the same stuff. And you may use like, okay, new technology <laughs> that is, you know, or new platforms and... Yeah, yeah. And one thing I... It was not automation itself that I found like uh, fascinating for me. Yeah. It was the process of writing, you know, a software that to solve a solution. And what I learned from by talking with different software engineers, like everyone has a different approach to solve the same problem. Right? Yeah, yeah. And that part I found like, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. So I'm not a software engineer, so I knew at the same time that it would be out of my comfort zone. Yeah. At the same time, I had to kind of partner with people that are smarter than me on those areas, right? Sure. So, more experience. Yeah, and and having that interaction, like diverse perspective. Yeah. Like I have the perspective of okay, uh, how to operate a network, but I want to do it more effectively, and that was the only thing I got into automation. And it was not only automation; it's like how do how can I operate this more effectively? Yeah. Efficiently. Right. Uh, and with, I would say, um, in a de deterministic and to be more uh, with consistency. Right. Uh, I hate it when I, you know, when I see, when I manually configure something <laughs> and I knew how I configure and the next month someone changed it to something like, okay, this is not part of what we decide to be the standard. Right, you know? right. And all these booby traps waiting for you <laughs> to step up and, you know. You got up and go. David! <laughs> yeah. So that kind of okay. And obviously, the automation journey can start as simple as just config management, but I definitely spend a lot of time thinking about how, where I want it to be, right? Yeah. Uh, but I also want to make it clear like, back then, it wasn't, it's a little different, right? Right now, automation is almost a given. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's the, the way to go, and there's not a lot of debate on whether it's good or bad. But back then, it wasn't. It wasn't the case, right? There were people saying, hey, you know, uh, computers or automation is so primitive that it's never going to replace human. In a part, it's true. Mm -hmm. But I remember, you know, right at the time when you were talking about, like, we were in the team that was completely aligned with automation. But, uh, but there are other teams that were not. Yeah. So, so it wasn't given, but you were, you were sold. Oh, I, I, I mean, the, the, the culture changes and the, and how the team need to adapt to it. Yeah. I think it's a, it's one of the most, for me, was the most difficult part of, yeah. of, of uh, when, I mean, as you say, when you have skills like Microsoft, you know, Azure, I mean, you have to spend a lot of energy just working on those solutions, right? Uh, it's a must, right? Yeah. There's more company that they argue like, should we invest in this or not? Yeah. In my opinion, I think everybody should invest on that. Uh, and and I mean, the longer you you take to embrace that, the more difficult it's going to be down the road for you. Yeah. So, um, and I feel that that's what kind of the opportunity I had at Riot is was smarter, uh, smarter enough to get some ideas um, go all the way in, but at the same time, it was big enough to start getting that appetite to you know invest on that. So, yeah. But yeah, the the um, 
I mean, definitely right was the point where I, I, ha I finally had the chance to actually be not only on executing that idea, but also even developing the idea, the vision, and getting to see the benefits as well, you know. And we had a, we have, most of the network engineers were kind of hardcore CLI folks. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. So, that's what, that's how they were taught. Yeah, and I have to convince them this there's a better approach, right? Right. I mean, if you go all the way to CCIE, I think at that time, not at that time, it's like up to this year, right? right. There was no DevNet. There was yeah, no yeah, like no, DevNet no, expert. No, no. You were expected to do all these tricky stuff within CLI yeah. to get to the highest level for CCDE. Yeah, that was part of your competence, right? Yeah, that was no. part of, and you know if. If you don't, I mean, you, you solve problem with the skill you know. So if you don't even know, yeah. then you, you won't, obviously, if, yeah, you, will if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Yeah. And, and I, do, I do remember going through this process of now we have, you know, hundreds of or thousands of peers. We have, you know, the skill become to a point where you need to have that consistency. Right, and right. You need to feel like you don't want to be in a situation where there's an issue and you don't know if that pop is following the standard or not yeah or it's not configured correctly at least you want to start working on with the idea everything's set up correctly everything right. working as expected right i think one of the biggest thing that happened was every because of the east-west traffic starts to explode mm -hmm. and now that everybody was adapting uh, class network. Mm -hmm. like, I mean, I know we were adapting, and then we're doing like spying leaf, and yeah. then like host leaf, yeah. and like we just yeah, start yeah. adding all these yeah. layers. And th like what you were saying, now that it becomes super difficult to to make sure like a thousand devices. Like, I mean, if it's a hundred device, it's gonna be tiring, but you could do it, yeah. right? You could actually do log into each and make consistent. You could like barely survive, but you could do it. But if it's thousand every three months. There's yeah, just yeah, no way. Yeah, no, there's no way. There's no way. So um, the, other, the other aspect that, for example, I I, I saw the opportunity at Riot was. Yeah. Um, okay. So back up. So yeah. you you were so I wish you fell it in right. So you were at Riot. I mean you were at uh, Xbox, and then you you came to Azure, but eventually you relocate to another state. Yes. Join Riot yeah. Gaming. Yeah. So and then now you came back. You briefly work at Cloud Provider. And now you're uh, going to work for Valve too, right? Yeah. So I think you took detours, <laughs> yes, but took, you've always been in the gaming industry. Yeah. I took detours uh, with an idea that I will experience. One is obviously, again, getting out of your comfort zone. Right? That's right, that's right. I admire that too. Yeah, second is uh, obviously changes. You need to build on your new network of you know, connections, trust with you know with other your peers etc yeah and that process uh, required a significant amount of energy right uh, so only to me in some some time where part of the i was forced to do that like you know when i moved from Rio to soft space and then to, <laughs> to aws but uh, uh, but i think those building those relationships relationships and knowing how to build those are very important yeah you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I didn't so mention yeah. it by name, but yeah. yes, yeah. you you came yeah. back to Amazon, yeah. and then now you're joining yeah. uh, Valve. So, um, yeah, I joined Valve, and in every single of, of my experience, I, I I learned something, right? Yeah. And from how 
I may solve this problem in a better way or even even there's see that you may not know at that point that going to be valuable yeah. and then something hit you when you're working in a problem game. That's right. why they were doing like that. That right. may be the reason why they solved that problem this way. Because I never questioned at that point, but you know, those experiences, your brain just connect the dots, you know, in a way that you don't even know. Dude, you, you, you hit it on the, on the keyword. I was going to ask you if you have seen Steve Jobs' uh, Stanford commencement speech. I, I've seen it like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah. So that's what he was saying. Like, that's one of my favorite speech. Um, I mean, he's a, um, there's a lot of, uh, um, I guess, different opinions about him, which I respect. And, you know, every, you know, however his person was, but that was actually one of the most impactful speech where he says, uh, you can only connect the dots. It was only like 30 minutes, right? But it was like, you can only connect the dots after, like what you said. Yeah, yeah no, and, and, and again, this is, um, the, you, you, I think there's always going to be a silver lining on your experiences. In terms yeah. of, and to me, yeah, there's going to be bad ones, but you learn from those as well. Right. So, so to me, like going through the automation journey, like, I take like the thing that I, I know I don't want to do, the thing that I, I were bad experiences for me, and I try to maybe come with something better, and even what I think is better may not be better in a year, right? So, <laughs> but you learn from those. Yeah. Right? We learn from those. So. Yeah. Again, like you connect the dots after. So, like you said, like this may maybe uh, you know like blessing in disguise. You yeah. never know, yeah. or it might just be you know something that you learn from and you move on to. Uh, but I, I wasn't insinuating that the AWS experience was bad, right? Because like you said, we all learn from. Yeah, we learn. We learn yeah, from those. You learn uh, from those experiences. We learn from those. And what I, I think at the end, I do enjoy working on. Companies that they can move, they are they're small enough, and you can interact with the people and and working solutions or problems uh, without spending too much time in you know in bureaucratic bullshit. You know? <laughs> like, can I say that here? Yes, yeah. you can. I, okay. I'll beep it out. <laughs> okay, you beep it out. Uh, and and also they are where the application that they offer. You actually experience that connection. To me, for example, at Riot, the fact that they're they were players, right? They say, "Hey, my latency sucks. You yeah. know, my connection sucks. My game experience sucks." Yeah. And you are actually part of that team that helped get that connection in a better place. Right. Uh, that connectivity in a better place, latency, etc. That was very gratifying, right? Yeah. And the same thing with Valve. They, this company, are very. They have very strong connection with their customers. In this case, they are players. And, yeah. And and I've been a gamer for since I had my first computer. So <laughs> your your Casio calculator, you were programming well, games. I and, couldn't uh, do the snake games. games. Yeah, maybe the no. I don't think I made. Yeah. So I I do enjoy those environments. Yeah. Uh, and when, when you see like you have a passion for gaming, you have a passion for networking. You yeah. Connect, and those two are they have this. Tight relationship, right? Hey guys, at this point, we continued our conversation, but at some point, the battery ran out. We didn't even realize it. So there was a, a missing gap. Uh, my apologies, but we came back to where we have access to computer and internet and we continued the conversation there. 
All right. Thanks for uh, thanks for getting back to me, Jaime. You might have noticed that the the background noise is gone, <laughs> and gone. the the kids well, are not running in the background anymore. Um, on your side, maybe on my side, they're still like background oh, the, noise. Yeah, yeah. My my family are not not here, <laughs> but um, uh, different kids though, right? Yeah. Like that was like some yeah. toddlers that were just running in the background because. You know, a sucker like I was, I actually forgot to bring extra batteries. I would say, like, I don't know what it is, but I think those GoPro tens are sucked out batteries faster than the previous generation. But that's no excuse, right? Like, I bought everything but batteries. So Jaime, being the nice guy that he was, we both rushed home (laughs) hop on the the computer and trying to wrap this up so thank you for bearing with me and uh you're probably buddy i mean at the end of the day i mean we were just having a nice conversation catching up for some i mean we are having catch up for some time now so i think that's a good opportunity to catch up right so yeah i i agree it was just like we haven't seen each other for a while and for example, I didn't know, you know, you were not born in Mexico. You were just like, you know, raised there. And so that yeah. was good to know. And uh, a lot of stuff that we, I hadn't even thought about in years. For example, you know, you were talking about uh, the presentation that you did for uh, the CICD on DevNet Create, which mm-hmm. was 2020. Uh, I remember that because it was virtual, but you mm-hmm. were talking about kind of the origin of that, right? Like 2019. You were at DevNet Create. You talked to a lot of people and so on. So why don't you tell us, like, how did that presentation came about and how did it actually, you made it happen in production and they're still using it, right? Like two years after you left. Yeah, so um, oh, there's, a, there's a cool thing. One, yeah, I would say we knew like, okay, this is, we want to get to the, to manage the infrastructure in a more f- efficient, effective way. Yeah. Uh, I mean, back then there was we were um, engineers were basically CLI devices, you know, making config in the best of knowledge. And many times they say, "What's the latest template?" Okay, the latest template is the whatever last device they connected to, right? <laughs> yeah, whatever what they, is in production yeah. or whatever yeah. is on Jaime's laptop. Yeah, whatever whatever is in in the last device that I know has kind of a my best understanding a good config looks like. Right. Uh, and that really depends what engineer was touching device. You can end with some uh, situation that, um, as, I, as I said before, like just it's a booby trap for, for someone else in the future, right? So right. we knew that. Um, and I think the other part was to learn from the other team because automation was not... I mean, was a new, it was not a new thing at Riot. Right? Many teams were doing automation uh, in different part of the the uh, their services, infrastructure, right. etc. So I, I did spend a, uh, a significant amount of time understanding their use cases, uh, the gaps that they had, the the lessons learned from those, right? right. Uh, in order to kind of uh, have a better understanding, and when I when I knew that it's not about, because there's always this thing like, oh, don't recreate the wheel, right? Uh, there's a bunch of solution already that the company already has. And, but to, for me, it was okay. I don't know if those solutions are the right fit for or needs or use cases. Right. So, um, so I didn't go blindly, just, you know, use whatever other team were using. For some of them was team that was um, 
they develop their system mostly to uh, help them build new data centers. Okay. Right. Um, and and they decide on some technologies, uh, uh, like Ansible, etc. But those were not deployed for me. The problem for me was like, okay, I need a system that is not only to build, for example, new pop, but I want something that help us manage the day to day, right? Right. Uh, so, uh, because you think about software, that's what they do, right? They, when they have a live service, they always developing new feature, new, you know, fixing bugs, etc. And those things are, you know, moving in their pipeline in a daily basis, right? Uh, people don't build software once and leave it and put it in production and that's it, right? So there's a... <laughs> and, and more importantly, when people ask, what is the latest code? They don't go into production and look yeah, at the code. <laughs> they exactly. actually look at a repo. Yeah, so they so only they have very good practice. And so and I want to learn from those and right. see how we implement those uh, in, some, in some extent, right? Because we were also limited in terms of resources. Um, the other thing that we quickly learned was that uh, I needed software engineer at least one to work in this project, right? Yeah. Uh, um, and you know, and use those two. Like, okay, I understand the use cases, and they understand how to build software. So let's work together, and I can yes, definitely write some code, but not as efficient that. A software engineer can because they have a lot of these design patterns already well defined. Uh, how to you know solve some software problems? So, but the challenge was that um, right as a software company, uh, when they hire software engineers, those software engineers normally are kind of they work on kind of the the core of the business, like. Uh, we're talking about the game, you know, itself and, this, and the game service. Right. So it was very difficult to, you know, attract software engineers that wanted to work in the automation side. Yeah. Uh, Most of the so, developer I know, they they um, what makes it fun for them is the new features, right? Like mm-hmm. the new new stuff and what what they they could do, and that would show up in like customers' screen. Versus the infrastructure on the back end, it really takes a special DevOps leaning developer to find those things fun and to yeah, work with you. Yeah, and and what I noticed as well is that they want to be part of creating something. They want to be yeah. part of at the end something that people use, right? And only that can be internal use, can be external use, uh, depending where your passion is. So, um, so selling. A vision, you know, is important. So for me, it was kind of okay. I need to lay down, you know, something that is going to be a, a, a very strong foundation, get some someone that will be interested. That's what I found. Uh, or when I was talking with Ben at that point, he was interested to help mm-hmm. on that project. So how many people uh, did you talk to before you hit, like you land on awesome Ben? <laughs> I think I, I, I spoke with, with a few engineers and obviously with managers and 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 other other teams and definitely there was some extent of support and help on, yeah. on for example when I was looking to okay okay how do I do this Jenkins thing because I have to right. now now write um kind of a 
a pipeline kind of instruction in 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 JavaScript. Okay, I haven't done any of that before. So right. I team up with you know someone that explained, but at the end they have to do it. At least in, you know, <laughs> with uh with bubble gum and you know and, <laughs> and, some and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it worked for the purpose of of building a prototype that helped me get more support from leadership to get, for example, an engineer, a sub-engineer assigned to the project, right? So, right. Uh, I mean, not only do they have to be interested, they have to be allocated cycles. So then yeah. somebody would say, you don't have to work on this you know, feature of, I don't know, keeping up scores, uh, but you're helping uh, Jimbo there doing the automation stuff. Yeah. The, the other part, yeah, the other part was important is that... Uh, this is kind of effort. It's not like one-time effort at the end of the day. I mean, yeah, maybe you say the MVP, okay, that's this is the amount of effort you need to do. But when you start uh, putting together kind of a roadmap, yeah. then you know that the software engineer become, need to become part of, you know, the, the, the team that actually keep those those systems, you know, moving and adding more features, right? Right. Um, in some point, my goal was more to identify those features and having that um, channel with the customer, which I am as well. I was kind of part of the customer, but at the same time, I didn't want to set things biased or, or my my kind of decision just biased by my own understanding. So, so that's why you need to build this relationship with the network engineers and the people that are using the system. And so you can start, you know, properly prioritizing what are what is needed. Yeah, I, I, I mean, organization, right? Organization is a a round globe, right? We have they have people in in Dublin, they have people in Sydney. So obviously, I was I was making myself as available as possible to all these different time zones during that project, just because how how passion I felt like about this problem space and, and in order to get, you know, a solution to, to the team. Uh, That's funny. Y you were following the sun, not the other. In many cases, yes. Uh, and, and the team was really patient with, you know, with me in that perspective. Yeah. Uh, we knew that there were some bugs associated and issues and we tried to tackle them. Uh, but again, I think that you know, team composition is, is something, it's funny because Riot, when you see games like League of Legends and this very competitive game. Right. And, and you hear all these things like, oh, team composition, you have support, you have the the different, the jungle, the different kind of uh, League of Legends <laughs> characters. Uh, and it basically translates to this kind of play where you need a good team composition. Um, right. There are other areas of operation that, for example, you may want to have data science or data you know, these data folks that understand how to deal with data, right? Right. Uh, so, so I think the, that part, that part is one of the things that uh, in any project, if I have to get involved, I, I definitely would like to build those relationships with other skills, with other people that have those skills, in order to increase the possibility of success of that project. Right. Yeah. So. I 
I'm sorry. Well, I, it's kind of my fault. So we, I brought up the the presentation that I did, but I didn't really explain like an overview for people who haven't seen it. So basically, Jaime, I should do the presentation on how CI/CD for network, you know, uh, lifecycle was done at Riot. So that was the end state. But we went back to the beginning of, uh, you know, how he got the idea and how he kind of perfect that process. So, you know, he mentioned communication right for the other team you build a relationship you feel passionate about a project so you are like this internal cheerleader and then of course riot already have this built-in culture of collaboration and that's yeah. where you you were mentioning last about because they have this like gaming collaboration mindset and you know data scientists with developers it makes it a little bit easier for you to say network engineering and having that collaboration with developers and management yeah, I mean, totally. And I mean, to add to that is the, uh, and there's already a different system in place that they already using, like, you know, GitHub for source control, right. uh, Jenkins, Docker. Uh, and at the end of the day, I leveraged all those systems that were in place. I didn't have one to, you know, I mean, obviously I have to understand how these things are, you know, tied together. Uh, but I think the one of the biggest in terms of time, um, because time is important, like how fast you can deliver something. Yeah. Uh, um, it was extremely important to work with those teams and 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 figure out like, hey, this I want to do this. Uh, how can you help me? Right. And how long did it take you to like each of these steps? Like which one did it take you longest? I mean you already mentioned Jenkins and there's also, you know, like a learning curve for yourself to learn those that you feel comfortable enough. Mm. Um, how long, how long did it take you to actually go from having an idea to actually having a prototype? I think the, the idea, um, I tried to put this in time frames. Um, sure, but yeah, the, the idea was, the idea was there for some time. They were like, yeah, we want to embrace infrastructure as code. Right. Yeah. And, uh, how that's how named Riot delivered, you know, software at the other day, uh, and and I think it took me maybe a couple of months to put a prototype, but mm. everything happened really, really fast because um, and like all these stars starting aligning. I yeah. remember, <laughs> I remember. Uh, I don't know if I have that book right here. With me. Yeah, I have that book. Uh, this network of probability and automation. Uh, um, so I started reading that book and gave okay. me a lot of good, you know, content about the the basics. Uh, but then the definite uh, uh, was scheduled, and I say, okay, let me go to to definite and start talking with with other people, trying to understand the CICD pipeline. Um, I remember having I'm seeing. This presentation from let me tell you who you were at DevNet. Um, sure. Um, I just saw uh, Preston. Oh, okay, Hank Preston. Yes, yeah. Um, so he gave me a lot of good, you know, information that I needed to because I, sometimes just to wrap this idea in your head, right? So yeah. you can then build this mental model of what you want to do and not only that so you can explain it in a in a passionate way to leadership and others so they can buy in the idea right yeah uh, 
So it took me, so that was the, like two, maybe two months for the prototype. And then I think working with Ben, that was kind of a three month uh, kind of time frame mm-hmm. uh, to move it that to kind of production state, right? Yeah. Uh, so it almost takes as long as uh, working. Like what I'm saying is, it's almost as important to build relationship and communication to for the stars to align. But once everything's lined up, it that's just, you know, like that's half of the story. The other yeah. half was just these human, like layer A, layer nine. Yeah, because, you know, there's another part of the the whole, when you start dealing with, okay, what technology I'm planning to use. Okay, we're going to use, you know, the, we have a GitHub repo we have, and we have to... Uh, kind of have these hooks with Jenkins and yeah and we have to write the own code to actually you know render configs and and doing that in a way that makes sense how we define our or device models so the configuration because that was the other part that uh, people tend to build a lot of abstraction okay yeah and I think abstraction is great. Uh, but when you're working with network engineers that they are being configured like BGP and to configure BGP, they have all these different config steps, right? Yeah. I thought, or my conclusion was, I think they will feel more comfortable if they see a model of the config, for example, in a YAML that mimic in some way one-to-one what is in the config, but only obviously the elements that we need, right? We don't need to have all the all the possible configuration of BGP in part of the JAMA, we only need these particular elements, attributes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so that's how we decide. Okay, we're not doing much abstraction, and the only abstraction that we decide to do is things like, okay, this interface external interface, or this interface a backbone interface, and when you define those, those basically inherit some particular attributes. Part of you know external interface need to be need to have an ACL, for example, right? Yeah. Uh, if it doesn't have an ACL, that should be basically fail some testing or process uh, steps in the in the uh, moving forward so uh, I mean, that's let me let me ask you th- back to your point about uh have you know making the network engineer more comfortable right so are you saying instead of being more declarative like you know how ansible is moving toward this declarative state where it's like mm-hmm. okay uh bgp true instead of mm-hmm. doing like config T, you know, BGP, you know, ASN, whatever, mm-hmm. it's BGP true. But in order for you to, you know, push it forward to make it more aligned with CLI, you have it more procedural. You you intentionally make the steps like this is what a network engineer would do in CLI as opposed to having more abstraction yeah. and just say yes. declarative. Yes, that's what I kind s- of the, the my conclusion at that point. Really, this is one of those things you don't know if how... If, if that was the best choice or not. Yeah. But but in my mind, I thought, okay, if I want to do abstraction, I can do it in a different layer. I can do, for example, a tool that give me that abstraction, right? In terms yeah. of, I have, and not only that, I can uh, maybe encourage engineers to that want to participate to write those tools. Like I want to write a, a tool that build peering BGP peers, right? And yeah. he will grab information from PrintDB and will grab information from our internal system to see if it worth peering with that AS. Uh, and then they that basically spill out 
this Gmail that I'm expecting to receive from the system, right? Right. Uh, so that was the thought process. Instead of like building, spending a lot of time on figuring out what the abstraction tool looks like or how much abstraction we should have from day one, yeah. um, and maybe failing down the road that people may, engineers will say, oh, um, I just, because that's the thing like, and to me, that's kind of a trap. Like, oh, for to confirm this, I only need to specify like, oh, BGP, as you say, BGP true, right? Yeah. And they don't know what's going on in the back end, what's pushed to the config. And yeah. at, the, at the moment that they need to troubleshoot that or troubleshoot the device, they see they don't have no clue what's confirmed the device, right? Yeah. And then you kind of lose that point, right? Then you you still go back to that single point of failure for per, per, the person who understands the abstraction yeah. becomes that bottleneck. Yeah. Versus if you put everything procedural, then network engineer who are familiar with the CLI could already tell what's yes. going on and yes. uh, more easily. Yeah. That's a, that's interesting. That That is very interesting. I guess if you're defining abstraction yourself, then that makes sense. Um, but, but so for me, right, like when I touch Jenkins, mm-hmm. I would say I just use the very, because Jenkins is all about plugins, right? Mm-hmm. Or, uh, you know, like uh, external yeah. third-party softwares, right? So plugins. And so, you know, what I usually do is just write Ansible playbook and use like shell plugin to execute this Ansible playbook. But as you said, that requires that person who knows Ansible, right? If if you end up yeah. with a, a network engineer who's, you know, more of a more familiar with CLI, then all he executes, he or she executes Ansible, then something breaks, you, you still have to go back to that person who understands Ansible. Yeah, and, and, and again, uh, at least in my head, it makes sense. Like, okay, let's do it like this. And and right. I think the engineers actually that helped them kind of uh, embrace it. Mm-hmm. And also, I I I believe that they there's there was the the because now they want to okay, I want to build this other tool. I want to maybe create a tool that build the pops, you know, or yeah, you know, or to deploy new backbone circuits, etc. So, right. uh, and they knew that uh, they need to spill up this, the output that of their tool need to be this device Jamal, right? Yeah. Obviously, my job was as well to, or part of the vision was, okay, I need to have some kind of uh, validation before whatever they spill out. Uh, I need to validate that is compliant with the model, right? Right. Um, and we start working with um, this is something I didn't mention, but in some point, because Ben was moving to another company, I felt like, okay, I need some level of support from software engineer for someone. And I start um, engaging network to code, right? Uh, yeah, okay. So, and start, we will start working together with network to code, and they bring like a lot of expertise on how to do some things, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we still own the vision and most of the only uh, the day-to-day operation of this system, etc. But they help us kind of delivering some feature faster. I, mm. I would say, right? Yeah. And one of those things was like validating like JML files or, or in terms of JSON using JSON schemas. Uh, yeah. Um, and and yeah, I mean, this was kind of the how we uh, uh, one of the I think the key components of 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 getting this to a to a point where you know engineers feel comfortable with uh, working with, right? 
I, I, I think that's a fantastic insight because you wouldn't know this until you wouldn't know this un, unless you actually have done it, right? Like uh, to me, from if I would t- put on my you know developer hat, I would have think that more abstraction would have been better because that's that's what like there's fewer lines of code, there's fewer um, things to worry about. But in practice, unless you actually done it, and unless you come from a network engineering background who needs this human layer of buy-ins of the rest of your team, the reverse is actually true. You actually have to have less abstraction for people to adapt this tool. Then once they adapt it, then collectively they could decide whether more abstraction is better or not. So uh, I think- Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think that's a great insight. And this is one of those area where um, human relationship and human interaction trumps technical superiority, right? Like we, we could discuss the technical bits and pieces until we're red in the face, but unless people buys in and use it, this is just not going to go anywhere. And I think that's kind of the pitfalls of a lot of the companies who have, who've tried to adapt it. They, they try to have the best practices and whatever is uh, perhaps being used by, I don't know, like being advertised or being, preached by Google and Facebook and they have tons of developers and all the resources in the world mm-hmm. but um but but you're not Google like if you're an enterprise of with two engineers like you're you don't have the same problem so you really have to take these real world experience and advices and think of human buy-ins first before you you know go ahead and and chase down like quote unquote industry best practices yeah, and you know the the well, I put a lot of thought on this on this part. To be honest, yeah, I could um, tell. And, and, <laughs> you no, still remember I, two years after <laughs> the, the thing. Like I saw different system, and I totally see why they did it. Like they were like all oh, this abstraction, and 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 to me, even when I was trying to understand one of these systems in more detail, it just took me so much energy to you know unwrap all this abstraction to a point that I could understand what's going on, right? Yeah. And and at the end, I say, you may call it, like, okay, I was, I mean, I I made that, part of that decision, always, I, I'm limiting resources, I'm limiting time. I can, I believe that if I lay down a foundation, we can work in abstraction in a different way. And right. to me, it was kind of a, maybe we can develop some, Python library is that basically uh, imp- you can import your design, you know, models, right? Like this is a backbone interface to have MTU 9000, for example, or whatever design choices you made. Yeah. That is, that basically is part of the, in your Python library. And when people start developing a tool that going to provision, you know, a backbone circuit, then he, he automatically have all these uh, validation in, in in your as part of your code, etc. Right. Um, so that's why I think okay. And we get to some point to that uh, because I personally wrote some tools and and in order to show the rest engineers the power of that, I brought some kind of very like early version of these libraries, right? Yeah. That has these design or design standards as part of these uh, inheriting in those libraries 
uh, so people cannot make mistakes, right? They cannot right. say, they cannot write a line of code with a tool that will provision backbone circuit and leave the MTU different than 9000, for example, okay? Yeah. Uh, now, again, this kind of, for me, was kind of, I'm okay experiencing the experimenting. If there's something that we need to change, we just, we change it, right? Right. Uh, but, uh, but it's very important to have that close loop with the with the engineer and say, what are things are working, what are things are not working, and we make it, you know, we adapt to that, right? Yeah, I I I like that. So I think the first thing that you mentioned was um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but just speaking from a user's perspective, right? Like you, you when you design your system, you really put yourself into the user's perspective, your customer. In this case, is internal your network engineer peers. Yeah. So you have to f- come from their perspective. You know, their adaptation is the most important thing. Yeah. So you design a system that encourages them to u- leverage their existing knowledge, use that system, and then you quickly iterate. Right. Like that's the second part you brought up. Is we could change this, and you you brought in your code that is on a simplified form, and to, just to show them the capability, and then you guys all talk about it. So I think that's super important. Um, like I said, this is the kind of real world experience that you wouldn't get unless you spend a lot of time thinking and a lot of time validating and experimenting. And it turns out, you know, you were uh, pretty successful in doing that, right? Well, I, I would. I mean, the success depends on the um, having at least being open to you know get uh, have this conversation with other people and working with smart folks at, around and because um and be open on those conversations i one thing i i learned from those is um i don't i don't know better it's, it's more like a, let's find out what is better right yeah um, for between i mean between you know a group of, of individuals working in these kind of challenges yeah um so that's the part i do enjoy yeah i obviously there's some technology choices you made, but at the end of the day, the part that I enjoy the most is getting to a point where people feel okay. This is a good, this is a good start. Let's keep working and get people even excited, right? Yeah. Uh, to a point that they want to participate, they want to be more involved, and they want to be actually uh, in the way that uh, improve the system itself, right? Even yeah. if they, they didn't start from the beginning, so. Yeah, I mean, it's it goes back to that saying where if you want to go fast, you could go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go in a team, right? Yeah. So yeah. you got to go yeah, together. And so you, if you speak from that, like if you want to build something that is going to last, then you have to get people's buy-in. And um, and as you've mentioned, you know, let's just stay humble, leave the ego at the door. Let's let's work together. You know, even though we'll we'll just make a decision. And we'll quickly iterate if it's not the right one, but we have to go somewhere. We have to start somewhere. So why don't we just start from there and then getting people's adaptation is the most important thing. That's yeah. very, um, very Silicon Valley in the uh, startup B of you, right? <laughs> <laughs> you bring your prototype, you quickly iterate, and then you get people's buying. You always, you know, uh, sometimes, sometimes the, the first MVP is for, you know, held together by bubble guns and duct tapes. But you open people's mind and open their their imagination, and they could correlate it and say, "Okay, I can make that mental leap, even though I know this is 
raw and premature, but I can make that mental leap that this is how it's going to be in the future. I could see it. And then they get you excited know, and start using it. I mean, I was surprised that the prototype actually worked <laughs> when I first, well, because I was dealing with things like Jenkins, you know, and yeah. API calls between these things. And, and yeah, so yeah, it was, it was uh, interesting. The other thing, like one of the other challenges was the engineers were not very, you know, comfortable with kit and that process, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, source control and, and and how many? I mean, the the amount of time that engineers reach out to me. Hey, I think my uh, I kind of <laughs> every time I try to push this, he says conflict with the with the branches. <laughs> yeah. Okay. okay. And 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 work and start kind of learning even myself. Like, okay, what what rebase is doing? Oh my god, rebase! That, oh. Yeah, and and all those little things, right? That how do you yeah. actually? You don't need to become a Git expert. Obviously, it's very good to know someone that have a very good understanding of that. Yeah. Because they can take you out of the hole if you get in the hole. But at the end, we learn like, okay, this is safe. I mean, if my if my, if my my local branch is messed up, I'm just going to freaking, I can just delete it. Yeah. And I'm just going to clone it again. Yeah. And I start fresh from whatever is in the master, right? Yeah, people need to know how to fail safe, right? Like when when things comes. So I think you know the same thing with people who's using Vim, for example, right? Like that's my editor of choice. But mm. people using Vim is always afraid, like they'll make some changes and and all that. And I think the first thing that would comfort them down, calm the nerve down, is you could always just discard your changes and get out, and then you're yeah. back from step one, right? Like that's the yeah. worst case scenario. Yeah. Don't worry about if you make a thousand different steps. And uh, you mess up the original. That's okay, you know. Just just get out. So I think in this case, you were saying um, the the best part about it is you you're you're teaching people how to fail safe on, you know, with all things. You know, worst comes to worst, you just discard all of your local changes, just reclone it again. Yeah, and there were other cases where someone started working in a new branch because they were planning some major changes, and yeah, and a week later, there was like multiple, you know, merged to master, and now they are out of, you know, uh, their their branches way behind. Yeah. So they need to, and sometimes they rebase, and there's all these conflicts, and say how I deal with conflicts, and yeah, and when GitHub may or in this case may solve some of these conflicts, sometimes it cannot, and you need to figure that out. And that's, I think that's the part that engineers were not very comfortable at the beginning. And maybe even today, some of them are not comfortable with it. Uh, uh, but I believe that's something that is inevitable to learn uh, about it. You know, if you're going to get into the infrastructure code and you have, as, um, I'm going to say a big team, but, you know, more than two people, you will need to figure out and, and learn how to deal with, you know, uh, Conflict and these conflicts are simple. Just like a line in the config on the Gemma file that maybe was changed, uh, or that section was changed by someone else, and and Kiho couldn't figure out. Okay, this <laughs> this is a conflict here, right? Yeah, you you guys duel it out. You you call yeah. you, you pick up the phone and say, "Hey, Jimbo, why did you delete that BGP? Was it really necessary? Yeah. So <laughs> or was it a mistake? And then you you figure it out and uh, you know and go go on your merry ways." You know, and 
I think one thing that people don't realize uh, or engineers don't realize until they start working in this kind of system is the, I call it during my presentation, kind of a high definition of the changes. Like in terms okay. of looking at changes in high definition, basically when you look into the history of a file, right? And this file is an interface of a device. You can see in time with very detail, like, oh, this day, this line changed, right? This BP right. changed the IP address or whatever, the description of the interface changed. And what's the that change was done by this engineer, yeah. you know, accountability, commit, right? right? Yeah, accountability, et cetera. So, uh, because, I mean, you, I guess you can have some of that when you have TACA on, 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 you know, all these oh, systems. Oh, no, that, together, that's right? going to be much, much but, harder, man. <laughs> but, but this level is just very clean, right? It's just yeah. very nice to see uh, uh, and not to blame anyone, you know, because yeah. that's the other thing. Like, we're doing this in order to understand, oh, we make this change because, and if you follow some good practices and you will have some well description, well described, you know, information on those commits. Uh, only you will know what is the context behind it, right? Someone right. changed this because blah blah blah, right? Yeah. Uh, so that encourage encourage the team actually to actually collaborate even better, in my opinion. So yeah, uh, that's almost where everything has to start, right? Like you have to have a source control system in order to have accountability in order to have history of mm-hmm. tracking in, and, and everything starts from there. If you want to reverge your changes or if you want to build like actual uh, CICD pipeline, mm-hmm. everything has to start from there. Um, I think the only thing that I would kind of change in that story is Jenkins, man. Like, I mean, I, I've used Jenkins. I know it's not a choice. It's not up to us, right? Like we all have things that company standards that we have to hurt to. But if I were to choose, um, I think even Hank, when he did his, um, when he did his presentation, I want to, I want to say he used drones, right? So you have like drones as a, as your mm-hmm. like Jenkins replacement, cause that's a, a little bit easier. Uh, and then he talked to the callback in GitHub and then you have some runners that register to their drones. And for me, when I, uh, when I did my course in the, um, <laughs> Uh, for LinkedIn Learning, I actually use uh, GitLab because well, that's that's what I'm using right now in my yeah. current in my current project. Yeah, I I think I I don't know. I mean, for me, Jenkins is uh, Java based. It's kind of slow. It's, it you end up maintaining different packages. I mean, I don't hate it. I just think they're probably more modern tools out there, mm. and that kind of mimics my day job too. Like we started with Jenkins and we end up using GitLab and using a hosted version and so on. Um, yeah. So I, I think there, and that's, that's after I chose GitLab, I really like GitLab and how they integrated together. You would think that maybe you want to have the system and a runner separately, but there are certain advantages in having them combined. I mm-hmm. think. Well, I, I think, I mean, that's what I'm looking right now. And, and, and at the end of the day, uh, to me, obviously, depends where the company is already using. Right? Exactly, exactly. And, and and the thing that I can leverage expertise from people inside that uh, that already done or working with that system. Say, hey, I'm stuck here. How do I f- deal with this situation? And only when you go all rogue, then you basically you're going to deal <laughs> with other 
with other problems, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have to justify your choice and yeah, explain exactly. to people why you chose GitLab instead exactly. of so, what the rest of the company is using. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, and, and I believe there's going to be some strong, you know, uh, argument to see this is better than what well, the company is using. But at the, at the same time, there's, as you say, there's got to be very strong uh, arguments uh, so you can be that exception okay yeah i mean back to that communication and adaptation right like it's already adapted so you know if you go against the current it's just going to be a longer pull you're not you're going to be spending most of your time convincing people as opposed to doing the stuff that really matters so you might as well just go with it uh you know have adaptation and move on from there and if there's a, a you know something down the line that needs to be changed then there's always time for that, but right now it's the it's more important to get things going. Yeah. Um, yeah. Jaime, I want to ask you. I mean, we're you know this is two parts <laughs> of the same interview, but um, we're coming up on time. But I want to ask you one last question on how do you think people get get started with network automation, in your opinion? Um. Well, obviously they have to be. I. I think. The most important part is that there's something that actually you want truly add that skill set to your to your tool belt, right? Okay. Um, and if one thing, if the company say, "I need you to work in this," but you're not have no passion about it, then yeah, I don't think you will get the best quality out of that work, right? I but how do you get best... that passion though? Like, what do you get the desire and motivation? If not just for like oh extra ten percent extra pay, obviously to me it, it, it was dealing with this kind of problem in a daily basis, right? In mm. different companies, in my experience, and I think I, I don't and I don't want to deal with that in that way, and um, I want to embrace other you know paradigms that make more sense uh, to me. And obviously in my in previous life, I did I did enjoy writing code. I was, I never got to a point where I, to get good at it uh, or enough experience to, you know, be face, do work face to, um, I don't know, I don't know, in terms of, comp- I don't want to say compete, but, you know, a software engineer has, that been working in this, uh, writing software, obviously, um, have a lot of knowledge that I cannot generate at this point in my career. But, sure. Um, so, yeah, you, obviously you need to be passionate about you know networking. You need to be feel passionate about writing software, writing code, and obviously solving problems. And yeah, and the other part of the I think is critical is to uh, you need to be able to to have this conversation with people that will have a totally different perspective than yours. Right? Okay. And 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 have and use that in your advantage in terms of using that because at the, at the moment that you are open to those conversations and you may think, okay, I'm, I may not be right on this particular uh, idea is when things start getting even in a better place. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, my, my passion in terms of only there's always going to be, okay, you need to learn a language. You need to learn, you know, the concepts, uh, uh, you're going to be working in an environment that require a lot of DevOps kind of, there's a lot of training yeah. around the concept ideas. These days, everything is in, but you also need to be critical 
about the information that you're receiving, right? Just not receive and say, okay, that's basically the the new truth or whatever you're doing. Uh, yeah, uh, you need to educate yourself and and learn how what information is maybe useful for you at that point. And uh, uh, maybe in the future, you don't know, it will hit you. I'm pretty sure, like. This makes sense. Maybe not now, but maybe in the future. Right? <laughs> Connecting the dots later on. Back yeah, to what you're. Yeah, I, I like yeah. how you always circle back to, to your central idea, right? Like your central idea of, um, if I if I summarize if, or if I hear you correctly, is you find a problem set that you feel passionate about, and the second is be receptive of different points of view, right? Like be mm-hmm. open minded, yeah. yeah. and then the third was, uh, to be able. To, what was the third one that you mentioned? So oh. be passionate about uh, and then uh, be receptive and then, oh, find the right resources, right? Yeah. You mentioned mm-hmm. find yes. the right resources and uh, you can always connect the dots later. It may not make sense to you now if you just, you know, consume the resource, but it might make sense for you in a bit. Yeah, because I, I do believe that uh, your brain is, I mean, even if that doesn't make sense to you right now, but your brain's still working. You, yeah. You know, our brain's, always working and they are going to be as you say they are going to connect those dots in some point right? yeah it like literally right your brain's yeah. full of neurons and but yeah. the pathways are always not always connected yeah. your neurons the more you work the neurons the more pathway is going to connect and literally you're gonna like the more connection you have the more likely chances of like a shortcut happening that uh you may not connect now but it's like you know one day you'll wake up and like that, that's yeah. going to connect. Or in the middle of the night, right? <laughs> in the middle of the night, oh, now I know how to solve that problem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and when that, you're passionate, you will wake up, you will stand up, and you will turn on your computer, and, you, and you're going to start, you know, doing something. That happened to me many times when I was working this project. Like, oh, now I figured out this thing, right? Uh, and I didn't want to leave it to next day. Um, <laughs> but again, everybody's different. Uh, yeah. It, it has to be like, if there's something that you're really passionate about, like, that you will spend... Uh, the time to solve those problems man if i if i lose any more sleep than i already do now i have even less here man <laughs> <laughs> for people uh, who are not watching jaime has this beautiful very wise guy looking like full white hair and which is like the jealous I, i'm jealous of that but uh, anyhow man, um, man it's all white now uh. <laughs> no it's it's silver man it's like it's like sean connery silver oh. but, <laughs> but anyways hey i mean it's always it's always good to chat with you uh but i, yeah, I buddy, really enjoy likewise. our conversation thank you for put up with my you know these mistakes uh, nah, on my on my nah. very first in person uh, i'm glad we get to catch up so can you tell us how to find you on social or if you're even on social at all? I mean, I am. I mean, obviously, uh, in terms of linking, I mean, you can always uh, ping me there. I will, uh, I normally uh, connect with everybody that wants to talk sure. about or build a relationship around these topics. Yeah. Right. Um, yep. The, okay. The, but yeah, I mean, definitely. It's not, it's not that I actively, you know, uh, putting things in Twitter or anything like that. Is <laughs> uh, kind of inf- very informal. On that yeah, how how we, I I guess I shared those inf- those connections. Okay, yeah, sure. So uh, so you're not a social butterfly, 
but you know, you you typically uh, connect with people on LinkedIn. So we'll include those in the show notes. We'll actually uh, include the book that you mentioned and also Hank's presentation on uh, CICD, which which I believe I've saw it a few times, not a few times, but I've seen it before. And uh, I mean, since we're all there, I, I may have even been there in person. I just don't recall. I know I, I watched the recording. So uh, Hank is excellent. And uh, I learned a lot from him. I learned a lot from Jaime. So thanks again, Jaime, for being on the show. Oh, we're learning from you, buddy. Thank you, man. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to Network Automation Nerds Podcast. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all the other podcast player platforms. Until next time. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.